You like Fireboy? I do. You're listening to Your Tables on Fire. A weekly conversation with the hottest game designers on Kickstarter. Here comes your host, Jeff Beck. Hi, ho listeners. Thanks for tuning in to your Tables on Fire. This is episode number 37. Okay, with me tonight, we have a very special guest. This is Dan Chris, the founder of the uniquely named Dan Chris Games and the designer of Tavern Masters. Dan, welcome to your Tables on Fire. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Well, Dan, why don't you kick things off by just introducing yourself? Uh, hi, guys and gals. I'm Dan Chris. I make games and uh, been making them pretty much my whole life. I've always been a big fan of fantasy and, and gaming in general and um, been taking it really seriously for the about past 10, 11 years now. Now we're finally getting a chance to start releasing some of our games and uh, sharing them with the rest of the world. All right, awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's take a trip down memory lane. You said you've been designing games, but I guess what game first got you into the hobby? Well, I've always been a fan of board games. My family always liked playing them with me, but of course they were the standards, you know, Monopoly and that kind of thing. But I think the first board game that really jumped off my table and bit me was uh, a game called Fireball Island back when I was around seven or eight. And uh, just getting to use cards, you know, to affect other players and affect the game and having this awesome 3D board and marbles that chased you and stuff. It was just awesome, you know. And uh, from that point on, I think I think that's one of the reasons that I got into stuff like Magic. For any gamer growing up in the 90s, Magic was certainly an intrinsic part of their uh, gaming, almost certainly. Right. Um, and of course, you know, role-playing games too. I, I started out in Palladium Fantasy and then, of course, moved into stuff like Rifts and D&D and, uh, you know, a number of other games, White Wolf games. And, uh, of course, the computer was certainly no stranger to me either. In fact, the Quest for Glory series by Sierra is still one of my all-time favorite game series. And sometimes I use references or puns to it in my own games. Uh, for instance, the card Dragon's Breath uh, from the, the game Tavern Masters I have on Kickstarter is uh, is actually directly a nod to the first Quest for Glory, wherein if you're stupid enough to drink the Dragon's Breath in the tavern, you die. <laughs> um, but in our tavern, it's a great drink. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Well, so how, how have your game tastes evolved? Are you still playing... Uh, lots of role-playing games and and collectible card games, or you got other stuff on your table. Well, I got a seven-year-old, so you know when I can. But uh, <laughs> we, my wife and I have always been avid gamers. Uh, she's she surprisingly blows me out of the water as a gamer. You know, uh, I mean, she is she knows like D and D books backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, so it's just it's a lot of fun. Uh, we had friends that lived with us for a while, and so we kind of formed the DKG War Council, where we'd always get to keep trying to play games. It's, it's a little harder to get people out nowadays because we live kind of out of the city a ways, but uh, at some point we'll probably be moving back closer where we can have better internet connection and you know, <laughs> start up uh, more game nights again. Uh-huh. Well, and so you've been gaming for so long. This is an apropos question for you. In your opinion, what makes a really good game? Well, in my opinion... Um, uh, what makes a really good game is something that is able to tie theme in really well with, you know, of course, solid mechanics. 
people tend to dog on American style games, and and I refuse to use that other industry standard <laughs> word because uh, yeah, I don't agree. But uh, but then again, you know, Euro games do have that you know solid strategy down, and I really try and kind of take take a bit of both worlds when I look at my own games, uh, just because you know I I believe theme is so heavily important for the immersion. You know, a game is supposed to be an experience. But at the same time, if it's all just about luck and chance, you know, you you lose some of the, you know, the fun of the strategy and of the, the building of things. But then if it's all strategy, then there's always that one guy or gal that always wins every time you take the game to the table. And that's not much fun either. <laughs> right. You mentioned that you've been designing games for quite some time. So what got you started with that? Uh, well, I've always just been kind of crazy and creative. And, uh, you know, lots of free time being a, an only child. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, having, having a love for gaming anyway, and of course a love for fantasy, uh, you know, I just, I would always sit back and come up with ideas. My friends, I would work on ideas with my friends. Uh, of course, you know, some of them were just, you know, obvious like magic ripoffs and stuff, but you know, we're, you know, teenagers and whatnot. So, I mean, what can you expect? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, in the nineties, of course, nowadays you got, you know, 12 year olds making amazing games that are you know, blowing off the shelves and <laughs> us older guys are going, wow, how'd you do that? <laughs> well, take us back to maybe not the magic ripoff, but, you know, another very, very early game you designed. Can you walk us through what that might have been? Uh, sure, sure. Actually, um, back when, when we were teens and, uh, well, really like 12 and 13, uh, my friends and I actually tried to start a little... Um, uh, programming company where we tried to make games on the computer and we were using stuff like QBasic uh, but we had <laughs> a couple of fun little titles uh, you know we had like a little fighting game uh, that was all pixel art and whatnot and poor at that right. but uh, you know we had um, another game called Pandora's Box that was supposed to be our first adventure game as far as like you know card games and whatnot uh, my, my friend Charlie always loved making these new worlds and so he and I would try and uh, uh, come up with, you know, cards and sets for these worlds. Like, there was one game called Imperial Colonies uh, that we were doing where, literally, it was a world of ants, but it was like a high fantasy world. You had, like, you know, necromancer ants and mage ants. And, wow. I mean, it was, it was, it was really cool, <laughs> you know, <laughs> for what it was. But Well, tell us a little bit about kind of how you go about designing. Like, where do you start? Where do you find inspiration? Well, I've, I've always kind of felt that more, moreover, inspiration tends to find me. I'll be just doing something, and then just smack. This, this game idea will just hit me in the head, and, uh, mm -hmm. and it'll get stuck there. I won't be able to let go of it until I kind of think of it for a bit. And it always usually revolves around theme. You know, like, I'll get some idea for a theme in my head, like, oh, I wonder if, how would it be to, you know, have a game where you're running the tavern, you know, and, like, trying to build a tavern to bring people in, or... Or, you know, I wonder what it'd be like to uh, play a game where, like, for instance, I'm working on a game for Thanksgiving right now called Pass the Turkey, you know, <laughs> where, where it's, you're each playing family members and you're trying to fill each other's plates with food and get the food on the plates that they like and the points are love. <laughs> you, know, it just, you know, you come with an idea, you know, I get like a theme in my head and then I try and think about, well, if I'm going to be experiencing this theme, if I'm going to be kind of, you know, getting into this experience... First of all, how do I want to express that? And then how do I want to show that and give that feel in the mechanics? And, you know, then I start to, to work up the mechanics for to fit the theme. 
And then eventually there'll be points where there's gaps in the mechanics where you're like, okay, I've got, you know, this card that does X and this card that does Y, but I don't have a card that does Z. So I'll come up with this. And what would be the thematic element for that? And, you know, between the two, it tends to uh, balance itself out pretty nicely. Hmm. Well, now this is not your first game on Kickstarter. So can you take just a minute and tell us about a few of the other games you've run through? Sure. The uh, first game we put out was called Cthulhu, the Great Old One. Uh, I'm a huge Lovecraft fan. I've been reading Lovecraft since I was like nine. And uh, he's by by far my favorite author. I've read every short story, every novella, every poem he's written that is published uh, like numerous times. And I wanted to make a game that was kind of like a, a tribute to him uh, because I, I love his world. And so often people slap the Lovecraft name or the Cthulhu name on some game or something. And it's just mm-hmm. because, oh, it has cultists in it or it's got these squid looking things <laughs> in it. You know, and I wanted to like just kind of shine a spotlight on how cool Lovecraft's world really is. Now, Cthulhu, the great old one, is pretty much just kind of like an, a, a deluxe kind of old maid that adults can play too. Because, hmm. you know, you have the, the, the matching aspect, making pairs, but then you have other cards that you can make pairs with that aren't the same. And then you have a scoring system. And now if you end the game with the great old one, you lose, kind of like an old maid. However, mm-hmm. there's another card called the cultist card, where if you play it and you end the game with the great old one, then you win instead. Uh, and then there's horror cards you can play that affect the flow of the game, affect other people's hands, affect your own hand, you know. So that's why I say it's kind of like a deluxe old maid. It's not as simple as old maid, but you can still play it with your family. You know, right. if your kids aren't scared by Lovecrafty images. <laughs> right, you have to <laughs> explain a few things. but. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, you know, uh, working off of the same same artwork from that, we wanted to do something just fun for like a party game. And so we put out Arkham Knights, uh, which is, you know, it's in the same vein as like Werewolf or Mafia, but it's, it's mm-hmm. not like a direct port or rip off of those. Like it's its own kind of thing. Most of the players are going to be townsfolk, uh, which are in the town of Arkham, and one of them is going to be the cultist. Uh, and then the rest of them are either going to be madmen or monsters, but that stays hidden. All their cards stay hidden, of course. Uh, and then you have the investigators, which, if you were looking at a werewolf type of game, they're kind of like the smaller pack, like the werewolf would be, where during the day, they're interviewing the townsfolk to try and figure out who they are by asking them a question, uh, to which you know they either have a yes or no answer. And there's, there's five different questions that are all true about the cultists, but each townsfolk, each madman or monster, only has three of them true about them. Mm-hmm. So you use those, the investigators use those questions to try and figure out who they are, and they pick someone to kill. Uh, and then at nighttime, they go away, and then they discuss in another room while the townsfolk all discuss and try and keep the cultists hidden. And then basically you have these ritual tokens that kind of, you know, every night at the end of the night, the cultists can either remove a ritual token or use a relic. But once the last ritual token goes, Cthulhu's summoned, and the cultist and the townsfolk win. But if the investigators manage to kill the cultist and keep him dead until the next day, because there's ways that the townsfolk, based on who they are, could resurrect him or, or change who he is or something like that, then if they can keep him dead till the next day, they win. Hmm. Uh, but each card is a unique character and has a unique ability. So... You know. So everyone has a unique role to right. play. Yes, there's no, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, that's pretty good. Well, now let's talk a little bit about Tavern Master. So Tavern Master's no Lovecraftian theme whatsoever. Is that right? Right, right. You, no, you sneak anything in? Uh, no. 
Now the uh, those two ga- the two first games are from my line called Lovecraft's Legacy, where it's a, a bunch of different games I've designed that you know all pull directly from the world of Lovecraft. You know, no further extended mythos or no you know outside of the Lovecraftian genre mythos. But uh, Tavern Masters is the first of my fantasy line set in my fantasy world called the World of Destiny, and I've got a number of games I've designed for that, including some big adventure games, all the way down to simple card games. Hmm. Well, let's uh, let's take a step back on Tavern Masters, and, and for those that aren't familiar with it, can you give us the description? Absolutely. Basically, uh, each player is running their own fantasy tavern. It's a game for one to six players. You can play it either head-to-head, cooperatively, solo, or teams. Uh, and basically, the base game, there's no take-that type cards. So, you know, it's more about trading with the other players, and either if you're going head-to-head, trying to get your engine built first so to speak mm-hmm. uh, whereas in cooperative you know you're all trying to reach the goal by a certain number of rounds and that's kind of that's the challenge chart where you can set the number of rounds you play as to the difficulty of the challenge you want to try and that also works with the solo game uh, but in the game uh, you're basically during the day phase you're playing tavern cards from the tavern deck and they're either going to be goods like games and drinks and food that will help bring in the patrons or you can hire staff cards that you know give you different effects in your tavern as well. Uh, drinks mm-hmm. are the main draw, so to speak. Most patrons either want any drink or some type of drink in specific. The three main drinks are ale, mead, and wine. Uh, and so you know you might have a wine patron at night, which you can play if you have any type of wine in your tavern. During the day, you're you're paying gold which is also your victory points, essentially. But, you know, you're paying gold to buy goods and hire staff to your tavern. And then at night, you're drawing patrons to your hand, and you're playing the patrons that you can play based on what you have in your tavern. And then at the end of the round, you have what's called the counting the till phase, where you get one gold for each patron, two gold for each noble patron, which are a special type of patrons you can play if you have something that lets you play nobles. And then other cards in your tavern may give you extra gold for extra things. At the end of any t- any round where any player has 20 or more gold, the game ends. And then whoever has the most gold wins, if you're playing head-to-head. And then if not, then you you know start again. You draw more, day car- more cards from the tavern during the day and keep going. Uh, now, one of the other aspects of the game is hand management, because you have a limit of five cards, but only at the end of the round when you discard down. Uh, but that means that any goods cards or even any patrons you weren't able to play can still be in your hand at the end of the round. You discard down to five, you know, so you're trying to plot out for your next round as well. And 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 it, like I said, it's kind of a, what they call a tableau building game where you're kind of building to your, your engine and adding new abilities and effects with each card you play. Mm-hmm. So would you categorize Tavern Masters as an engine building game? Ah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, you're, you're building this engine and watching it start making you gold, you know, and uh, right. and trying to use your gold most efficiently and effectively to get things that are going to help you in the long run, but of course take away, you know, some of your victory points in the short run. Like I said, in, in the main Tavern Masters game, there's no take that cards where, you know, trading is encouraged. Like, you know, you can trade with other players, but there's no, like, messing with other players' taverns in the base game. However, we're also offering the Dirty Deeds expansion, which is the, the element that adds in that 
take that kind of thing. So, you know, right. for instance, if you've got a thug in your tavern, you can play like the bag of rats that makes one of your other opponents have to discard a food at random, you know, because you go and have the thug trump some rats in the back of the tavern. Or maybe if you have a soldier in your tavern, you can play like the false orders or whatever that, that make them go in and, and make them discard a soldier from their own tavern. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about engine building. I'm, I'm really curious. What makes a good engine building game? And I guess what type of experience are you trying to create when you build an engine building game? Well, uh, with an engine building game in general, I mean, you're, you're basically just trying to, you know, it's, it's almost kind of like set collection meets resource gathering. Because, you know, as you collect more sets of things normally, you know, you are able to gain more resources from it. But like in Tavern Masters, you know, I like every little thing to kind of build off of one another as combos. I mean, that's one of the fun things of, for instance, like playing Magic or other card games that have like variable abilities where you can find, you know, this card plus that card makes awesome. But then you add in this other card and it makes it, you know, doubly awesome. And mm-hmm. I've, you know, everyone loves getting those combos. So I wanted a game where, you know, every time you play, you're going to get some kind of combo or other. Uh, you know, and then the idea is just to kind of build the best combos, make the right decisions to kind of prune your engine. You know, like I was saying earlier, you know, like, you know, immediate reward versus long-term reward, you know, right. versus, you know, how long it's taking everyone else to do it too. Right. That makes sense. So how long have you been working on Tavern Masters? Uh, Tavern Masters we've been working on for, I think, about three years now. Uh, We've taken it around to a couple of conventions like Comic Palooza. We've taken it to local game shops and, of course, had uh, a couple of other playtester groups help us out by playing it, too, and, you know, giving us feedback. And, you know, we've really been working to make sure to get any of the kinks out and stuff. And it's it's been running smooth for a while now. It's it's a fun game. We we love bringing it to the table, too, because it's short to play. So, Mm -hmm. like, if you're getting ready to play a role-playing game, but you're waiting for someone to show up or someone's still got to cook some food... You can just, you know, bust out a copy of Tower Masters and play a quick game or two. So it makes a nice filler game between those big, long, you know, marathon games and whatnot. Right. Cleanse your palate a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Right. So how has it changed since, the, you know, the very, very first edition? Uh, well, surprisingly, uh, Tavern Masters ended up working pretty well. I mean, of course, you know, adjusting the prices on things adjusting how you started one of the one of the things that we really liked that i thought was an excellent addition is when we determined to make the opening hand a draft event so to speak where uh, when you start the game uh, the first hand of tavern goods you're actually drafting with the other players to where you know you draw five but then you keep one and pass the other four and keep Mm -hmm. one past three and two and then you know you get the last one and that way it helps prevent you know, not having a drink or something to start off with because drinks are important, but it also, you know, lets you kind of pick and choose how you want to start your tavern off, you know, because as you're playing it, like so often players find, I know we certainly have, that, that as you're playing it, you can almost like see it all coming together and like, you know, the story kind of unfolds before you. And like, oh, I started out as kind of a sports bar because I had, you know, a dart board and an ale, you know, but then... All of a sudden, I started carrying food and I had mutton. Now I can play noble patrons. So now, you know, the rich crowd's coming in, and you know, you can <laughs> right. you can see it unfold. You know, right? Well, you mentioned you've been playtesting this for quite a bit. What's the best and or worst advice you've ever gotten from a playtester? Uh, well, um, 
That's a good question. I've, I've had some really great suggestions. And of course, sometimes, you know, they tell you what you've already been kind of thinking too, where you're like, you know, I get the feeling I should do this. And then they're like, hey, I think you should do that. And, uh, <laughs> uh, as, far, as far as worst advice, well, you know, sometimes, you know, players will give you advice before they even played it or like on the first round. And like they, they start giving you, you know, suggestions that would basically mean you'd have to change the entire nature of the game, you know. Like, right. oh, well, what if you're playing a character and then you had stats instead? And instead of running a tavern, you went on adventures and you rolled a <laughs> polyhedral set of dice. And then, like, you know, you did it more marathon. Like, oh, you mean a role-playing game? Yeah, I've heard of those. <laughs> uh, wait for the next game. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, we are we are eventually working on, on uh, role-playing, you know, supplements as well for our World of Destiny. So... Right. Well, and hopefully a big part of that will take place in, in tavern management. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Tavern Masters is, you know, meant to be that first taste of, of, you know, what the world of Destiny has to offer. And we've developed so much of it, too. I mean, we already have our next big expansion, Dockside, ready to go. Uh, tavern yeah. Masters Dockside adds in the, uh, the rum, the fourth main drink. And, of course, <laughs> it adds right. in sailors, you know, so you get pirates and sailors and captains and... It also adds in the song deck to where each round you can play a song. And if you have more entertainers, you can draw more to pick from. And then the songs kind of add an ambient bonus to your tavern as well each night. But, you know, now I'm already working on the Innkeeper's expansion, which is past that, where you're actually changing kind of the nature of the game a bit to where instead of working to get as much gold as you can, instead you're trying to build your renown over eight rounds. And so it's about piling on even more gold and using it to build even more of your tavern into more of an inn or a wayside thing or, you know, a number of different things. So it, it's fun, especially to get to work on a game once once you've been able to develop it and get the, the core game solid, you know, to be able to work on expansions before you even get to release because then it allows you, when you, when you have the expansions, it allows you to see, oh, well, man, it would have been so much easier if I'd have just integrated this thing into the first set. Right. You know, so right. you can go back and make adjustments to where, you know, you can, by the time you get to that point, it just flows naturally into it rather than having to introduce new concepts and new rules and stuff. Right. Or rather than having painted yourself in a corner because you didn't include a certain icon or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like, for instance, one of the cards that we, we just gave away with this campaign, we've just uh, unlocked as another free Kickstarter exclusive, is the Undead Viking uh, card. Uh, it's, it's a patron. Yeah, uh, well, he was really nice. He did a great review for us, and he's been really helpful on this campaign with us. So we just thought it'd be a fun way to kind of give back, you know. So he's the first sailor, you know, because mm. the sailors don't come out to the dock side. But, you know, you don't need to rum to play him. You just have to have any game, so... Mm. <laughs> Very nice, very nice. Well, you've mentioned your Kickstarter campaign a few times. Let's let's talk about that for a minute. So I think you're wrapping up in uh, just a couple of days. How are things going? Uh, things are good. As a matter of fact, uh, today we actually just hit 100% funding. Oh, congratulations. Uh, so thank you. Uh, it's very exciting because it means that this thing we've been, you know, dreaming about and working on for these past few years now will get to, you know, become a full reality and we get to share it with everyone, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we've had, you know, prototypes printed up and stuff, and it's nice to get to, 
you know, play fancy looking, you know, prototypes. But when you have all the art finally being created for it, and, you know, our artist Galen Eilenfelt, he he's been just doing some amazing art for this game. I love it so much, and he's really capturing. Like I told him from the beginning, I was like, I want to capture that kind of early gaming, like late '70s, early '80s kind of gaming fantasy feel to the artwork. Oh yeah. And and you know he's really done that spectacularly while keeping it just beautiful and and awesome and it just kind of when you when you play it it kind of helps at old school gamers like myself feel at home because it's just like yeah this is what fantasy is supposed to look like you know <laughs> right very cool well now that you've crossed that funding level what's keeping you up at night oh uh, well. Uh, not being able to stop making games for one. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I, I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> like <laughs> sleep takes away time from me getting to make new fun games. I've, I mean, I've been I've been working on my library for a while now, and I've got I think at last counting, counting in the the three games I came up with over the past two weeks, I think I've got about 114 games that I'm working on total right wow. now. Uh, you know, all in various stages of doneness, of course, but I've got about 40 of them prototyped and about, I'd say about 16 or 17 of them are pretty much ready to go. You know, to, they're wow. solid. They've been, you know, all the, all the squeaky wheels have been removed and now they just work flawlessly. And now it's just a matter of getting the art done for them and getting them out, you know? Wow. And so that's impressive. <laughs> Looking back over your campaign, What's gone well? What didn't go as well as you had hoped? What's the retrospect? Well, I will say that, uh, I mean, you know, all things considered, I think it's gone really well. Uh, we didn't really have any extra money to be able to afford advertising, like getting a, a board game geek banner or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where we've advertised with them before and it, and it worked nicely for our initial Cthulhu campaign. But, you know, this time we just, we didn't have the funds, you know, we, we've been uh, putting everything into you know, getting the art done and trying to get the prototypes ready and whatnot. Uh, But there's been a lot of great support, you know, just from, you know, the community and, you know, those of those backers who have been following us from the first campaigns and finding a lot of new people too that have been discovering it, including people that were fans of Galen's artwork. You know, they've come over and seen it and they're like, wow. Uh, We've had a couple of really great reviews. Undead Viking did a review where he had a lot of praise for the game and the art uh, Ant Lab Games did a video review as well and a, and a playthrough, and they apparently loved it. They, they, he said that his wife just couldn't stop wanting to play it. Every time they'd finish, she'd be like, "Let's go again." <laughs> and that's the kind of result. That's the kind of response that you know it really, you know, makes a designer feel really, feel really great to hear. You know, because right. I know how much I love playing this game and how much my friends love playing it too. So to get to share it with everybody else and see them react the same way. You know, it's just, it's magical. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you know, given this is not your first Kickstarter campaign, were there any gems of wisdom that you learned from your other campaigns that you were able to bring to bear here? Oh, uh, absolutely. We we had kind of a, a rough time with our first Cthulhu campaigns. Uh, we ended up, you know, just wanting to do so much for everybody. And a number of our manufacturing quotes ended up being just a fraction of what they really were by the time we got to it. And the wow. shipping, we just weren't able to plan for as well as we should have. So, we, you know, we ran into some, a bit of a problem right there for a while where it took us a while to get everything fulfilled. But, you know, we managed to get it together. We, you know, pulled up our socks and got to it. Uh, <laughs> and so we were able to finally get all that finished up. But I, I got to say, 
you know, whenever you're doing a Kickstarter campaign, first of all, you know, if you're bringing a game to Kickstarter, playtest, playtest, playtest. You know, it's too often that games look great because you can hire a good artist, but then you find out that they only got the idea a few weeks ago, and you need time to really make sure to get out all of the, the problems of your game. But then, you know, as far as Kickstarter itself, plan for shipping, plan ahead. Like, make sure you know who you're shipping through, how much your final game's going to weigh, and what it's going to cost to ship it. Figure out how to get it to international backers as best as you can. Try and help them avoid, you know, some of the costs that they have to face. Because shipping mm -hmm. is just horrendous. Uh, I mean, it is just expensive as all get out, especially when you get international. Mm -hmm. Um you know, other than that, just, you know, do your best to give your backers a great time and, and give them a good, solid product, you know. Mm. I offered a lot of extra fluff in my earlier campaigns that was, while cool, you know, didn't really add to the game itself. It would just be like T-shirts or, you know, um, you know posters, uh, uh, beer mugs, you know, like Cthulhu beer <laughs> mugs and stuff. And they were cool, but mm. in the end, it really added nothing to the game. So in, with Tavern Masters, I've done my best to focus on every stretch goal and every add-on and everything, all adding to the game itself to make the game experience better. You know, whether it be, you know, an add-on set of metal coins or an add-on playmat or an ex extra expansion or some free promo cards or some extra Kickstarter exclusive cards, you know, whatever it be, it should add in to the game. Good advice. I like that. Well, Dan, it's time to uh, time for me to come clean here and confess to you that the real reason for this podcast is not to talk about Tavern Masters or your campaign or any of that, but instead is to play the game design challenge. Okay. Here's how this works. I'm going to randomly select a game theme. I'm going to give it to you, and then you as an expert game designer, you're going to mold over, think about it, and then pitch back to me what that game might be. Okay, sounds like fun. You up for that? Sure, why not? Okay, awesome. So I'm going to find a theme, and that theme is going to be building the superstructure. Building the superstructure. Hmm. Well, uh, initially, my first thought would be to you know, try and design interesting 3D shapes and blocks that could actually be used to build a building. Uh, you know, there's a number of great, you know, like balancing basically games where you're trying to actually balance pieces. Right. But at the same time, those, you know, have a, a somewhat of a limited appeal. Right. Uh, so, you know, me personally, I, I'm much more of a, you know, card player. Uh, so I would first want to think of, okay, superstructure, what kind of thematic element would I want to put onto that, you know? Uh, would I want to go, oh, let's say, biblical and do the Tower of Babel? Or would I want to go fantasy and say, you know, building your castle or, uh, you know, building the dwarven halls? You know, would I want to go post-apocalyptic and say building a fortress? You know, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, you know, me, of course, uh, I love going to fantasy. And, and then, of course, if you have fantasy, that adds in, you know, magic elements and stuff like that, too. So that can be fun. All right. Uh, Building a superstructure game, you're obviously going to need to build, you're going to have to have some kind of resource that you can then build off of, uh, and, and a way to get that resource. Uh, and so, I guess that obviously, you know, a good way to start, you know, building a foundation on stone. So, 
question is, would you have like a maybe a worker placement system to help mine the stone, you know, or to mm -hmm. uh, you know get other parts or to mill the stone, or would you have you know just a card drafting system or perhaps uh, even a deck building system? But you know, I haven't really messed with deck builders yet, so I might steer away from that unless I was just really wanting to try a new challenge. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I guess uh, building the superstructure, um, I, I can definitely envision, you know, building stacks of cards and maybe having it to where uh, you can only play cards whenever you have, you know, if, if you build them kind of in a pyramid fashion away from you to where, mm -hmm. for instance, to, to play a card on the second row, you have to have two cards beneath it, uh, you know, like kind of on either side of it as a foundation. Right. Uh, and so then finding ways to gather those resources, I, uh, you know, I like the idea of like a small board with a worker placement thing where you could have like the dwarven mines, you could have the, uh, uh, you know, like the bazaar to buy, you know, more goods and stuff that would let you, you know, draw more resources. And I suppose then you'd want to figure out, you know, what, what the point of building the superstructure is. Is it just a point based system? What's the victory conditions here? What's the uh, right? Uh, you know what? What is the purpose of building the tower? Right. Uh, and so, uh, I guess maybe if I'm going with the fantasy theme, then uh, you know maybe there is a dragon that is preparing to attack the kingdoms, uh, okay. or, or the kingdom, and and each each player is like the mayor of their own village, and they've got to build the biggest fortress possible to fend off the dragon attack or the warlord attack or whatever. Uh, right. You might even have, you know, different enemies, like an enemy deck to where each game the enemy was different. So maybe one mm. time it is a warlord, so you need more buttresses where you can have more archers. You know, maybe each buttress gives you an archer defense or something. Uh, but of course you have to build up to the buttress point. Uh, you know, whereas maybe if you have a dragon, you know, you might need to build some, like, uh, you know, heavy ballistas or something to try and shoot it out of the sky. Or, you know, who knows, maybe even a magical, like, fireproof shell or or uh, <laughs> magical barriers of some type and also i think that in a, it's important in a game to have you know a lot of ways to approach a problem rather than just oh to to get x you need y you know i mean i'd rather it to be to get x you can either do y or you can do z or you can do b or one or 12 you know whatever so uh, you know, having multiple ways to prevent the, the monster from attacking and uh, to, you know, take him down in the end, I guess. Uh, so you'd need defense elements and offense elements. And, of course, the offense elements would be more expensive to build resource-wise. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I would make the resource deck itself be the Dwarven Mines, and so you'd have a deck from the Dwarven Mines. Most of the time you'd be just mining up stone, which would give you a building resource to make more castle walls and blocks and whatnot, but then occasionally you'd find gems in there uh, that would be worth different amounts of gold if you take them and then use another worker placement, you know, like instead of placing one of your workers on mine, you place it on the bazaar to sell off some of the gems you got uh, mm -hmm. from the mining to get more gold to buy more supplies or perhaps to hire more conscripts. Uh, whereas maybe you could also put your worker instead on like the training yard where you could train conscripts or, you know, train people to to man your, your fortress. Then you got to figure out, you know, different castle features to, to kind of build up the card. And then basically, you know, each level is protected by what's on that level. So, for instance, if the base level is just stone, 
it can be attacked and make stuff crumble from on top of it. Whereas if you add in at least one wall card, you're getting a bonus to all those cards from the wall. And maybe you add in a few of them, maybe a few of them are wall cards. And so you can, you know, protect that resource more. And then as you build up higher, you can have special rooms that could be destroyed if stuff under them breaks or if that area gets attacked somehow. But the more protection cards you put, you know, on the same level affect every card on that level. I don't know. It's just something off the top of my head. All right. Well, Dan, I have to ask. Did Have you had this prepared the whole time? Because that was pretty incredible. Um, no. Just, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know you did this game designer's challenge thing. It's fun. Yeah, that, I mean, that sounds like a, a pretty polished game. That was, that's pretty impressive. You just pulled that off the top of your head. So well, well done. Thank you. And that, that's kind of like when, why, when we made Tavern Masters a few years ago, it worked so well just straight off the line, you know. I mean, like I said, we still have to tweak it, but. You know, once you've come up with 114 ideas for games, you know, they, they just kind of fall out. <laughs> I guess so. Wow. Very, very impressive. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure speaking with you this evening. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Jeff. I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, my pleasure. And best of luck with uh, Tavern Masters and the rest of the campaign. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing more of your podcast. Fantastic. Well, that was Dan Chris the founder of Dan Chris Games, and the designer of Tavern Masters, currently on Kickstarter. You've been listening to your Tables on Fire. Check out our website for show notes and a link straight to Dan's game. But though you better hurry, it's only got a few days left. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tablefire. We're on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and even BoardGameGeek. Check us out on any of those websites and give us your feedback. We'd love to hear what you think. Well, until next time, go light it up.